this is Mike Lindstedt, president and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project. And you are listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, where we replace hopelessness with hope. Well, we're back on our podcast series entitled The Life in Christ, where Pastor Chad and myself are walking through the book of Philippians. And we're having a great time in this book, aren't we, Chad? Oh, yeah, we're getting after it. Getting after it. (laughs) The overarching theme of the epistle to the Philippians really is selfless, sacrificial service. The entire idea stems from the fact that Paul's talking about Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Like I've mentioned before, he mentions Christ in some form or fashion 46 times out of the hundred and something odd verses that there are in this epistle. So without a doubt the primary subject of this this epistle is Jesus Christ. Yeah. And from that, we we talk about the gospel. We talk about God the Father. We talk about God the Holy Spirit. We talk about the church, mm-hmm. right? All of these things are wrapped up in this conversation that surrounds Jesus Christ himself. And in the past couple of episodes, we've been looking at some examples of selfless sacrificial service. The first one was in chapter 1, verses 21 through 30, where Paul uses himself as an example. Mm. And he has that famous line, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So he talks about what it means to live in Christ. And he talks about uh, the fruitful labor that that means for his life. And then he shifts over in chapter two to use the example, the ultimate example of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he uses the language of Isaiah 53, verse 12, where he says in chapter 2, verse 7, but Christ emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so Paul is echoing back to Yahweh's suffering servant of Isaiah 53, how that servant would pour himself out unto death. And so Paul brings that imagery in here and applies it to Jesus Christ as as Yahweh's suffering servant. And we've said it so many times in this podcast, but we'll say it again. The Lord himself said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that he did not come to be served, but to serve. Again, so Paul uses his own life. He uses the Lord Jesus Christ as an example. And in today's section, we're going to see the example of Timothy and the example of Epaphroditus as two more examples of selfless, sacrificial service. Now, Chad, why don't you fill us in on some of the the context? Uh, Because if we just sort of jump in at this text that we're jumping into today without really giving our listeners some understanding as to who Paul may be referring to in verses 20 and 21 and Mm -hmm. some of the surrounding context there, it might sound a little disjointed and and be very difficult to relate to. So what's the context going on here? Well, in the context here, Paul is, he's one, he's excited and wants the, and really cares deeply for the church at Philippi. So much so that he's sending two of his um, fellow workers, uh, one being a leader in Timothy, who he talks about having no other leader like him that is that cares about um, the needs of the saints so deeply, and um, and he also is excited to hear about what the the growth in the gospel movement within the church of Philippi when he says in verse twenty that he too may be cheered by news of you. So he's speaking about he's excited to send Timothy so that he can be encouraged by the yeah. gospel growth that is happening there at Philippi. 
And so it indicates that Paul is encouraged by the gospel growth in the church. Paul is concerned for their spiritual welfare like a father, and he trusts that Timothy can take on that mantle and be a representative of himself. And then he talks about, um, in verses 20 and 21, 21, he says, for they all seek their own interests. So he's speaking about Timothy, and he's talking about being cheered, uh, the news of you, and how he has no one like Timothy. And then it seems to shift, and it can be confusing maybe as you're first reading that of who's he talking about. Is he talking about the Philippians? Because he's been talking to the Philippians a lot about selfless service and and uh, considering others more significant than themselves. And so you could get confused there, but... That's not in the context of who he's speaking about. He's speaking about other leaders there that were leading out of selfish gain that may be speaking a a false gospel. Mm -hmm. And in this area of Asia Minor, that was happening pretty prevalently. You can go to 2 Timothy 1, 15, and we see, um, I'll turn there real quickly. It tells us of two leaders. Paul uh, calls out particularly in 2 Timothy 1, verse 15, if you don't mind, Mike. 2 Timothy 1, verse 15, we've got Phygelus and Hermogenes. Mm-hmm. That's not a mouthful at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so these are a couple leaders there. And yes. so there's a, in this section, it really shows the servant heart towards one another within the church, mm-hmm. Paul's care and worry and anxiety over the people at, in Philippi that, that they'd be led astray, mm-hmm. possibly. Mm-hmm. The urgency to send Timothy, you know, we see that with Epaphroditus as well, that his distress and concern was for the welfare of the people. Yeah. And, you know, just doing good exegesis, you could follow that they that he that he says in verse 21 all the way back to chapter 1, mm-hmm. verse 17, talking about those brothers in Christ who were preaching Christ out of selfish ambition rather than pure motives. Mm -hmm. And we talked about that word selfish ambition in the Greek. I mean, it's a word that's used of mercenaries who do work for hire. You know, they, in other words, these people are preaching Christ for the money, for the prestige, Mm -hmm. for the fame, right? We know this because they're stepping into the role that Paul has thus occupied, but Paul's locked up now. He's in prison. And so these guys seeing an opportunity to assert themselves with no apostolic authority to keep them from doing that, yeah, no pro- they're stepping up. No protector, right? no no um, shepherd there. And we have to understand too, listener, that this is a very different time, uh, you know, than you and I are living in. Mm-hmm. Meaning, there's no Bible, right? There's no. They can just open up their 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 Bible that they've got, you know, at their home and have their little quote unquote devotional time, right? And they can't flip out their iPhone and look up a scripture. I mean, these people are dependent on their teachers who have had access to the Old Testament scriptures at some point in their life, like Paul grew up memorizing. Uh, They're dependent on the teachers and and those who have the Word of God or who have had it throughout their life to teach them the Word of God. Um, The letters of the New Testament didn't really start circulating heavily towards later on in the first first century. Mm -hmm. And so in a very real sense, these are desperate sheep yeah. And Paul is the the shepherd who can't tend to his flock. And they're very vulnerable at this state. That's right. And so as we're going to see, you know, these faithful men, Timothy, Epaphroditus, Paul, they have real care for these sheep. They have mm-hmm. real anxiety because they're not able to protect the flock in the way that they really want to. Mm-hmm. And so let's get into our text today, verses 19 through 30. 
Um, I'll just read it, Chad, and then you can get us started on yeah. the breakdown. So chapter 2 of Philippians, starting at verse 19, says this, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be in good spirits when I learn of your circumstances. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned about your circumstances. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I evaluate my own circumstances. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I regarded it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him, again you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to fulfill what was lacking in your service to me. So here we see Timothy and Epaphroditus. This first section focused on Timothy, the section, second part of this section on Epaphroditus. And so we see how Paul regards Timothy, first and foremost, that he is like a child to him, someone that had the same spirit, same mm-hmm. type of soul, as Paul uh, likened it. Mm-hmm. But he was someone who cared about the gospel and cared about the people with the same uh, ferocity, the yeah. same passion, dis- passion as devotion, right? And he could trust Timothy. Yeah, he was. He knew that he could trust Timothy to go and be his representative and protect the sheep that are there, right? Mm-hmm. So Paul sends Timothy as his representative to the church at Philippi, and we have some indication here um, of Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus' feelings towards the church at Philippi that there was a great gospel work there, that they too may be cheered by news of you. Like he's talking about, Paul, if I, I want to send Timothy, so he too can be cheered by the news of you. That mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the things that I'm hearing coming out of there, your your commitment to the gospel and, and the work of Christ there. And so it, it indicates that Paul is encouraged by the gospel growth that's in that church. But Paul is concerned for their spiritual warfare. And like a father... He trusts that Timothy will have the same concern and shepherd them well. Mm-hmm. And his concern, coming out of verse 21 we talked about earlier, that Paul calls out the other leaders in Asia Minor and it, and that there are leaders there that are leading out of selfish gain and not concerned about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, when, and when he talks about it in the first part of his letter, he was saying that they were doing it for sordid gain, mm-hmm. and he was saying, well, even if they are, like the name of Christ is still getting out there. But we also know in the context of what's going on around there that there's also false teachers, mm-hmm. some of the warnings in the letters to Timothy and different things. And so oh, yeah. <clears throat> part of Paul's concern here, I, I think we could um, deduce that there is a fear of a false teaching that mm-hmm. could start to happen and a turning away of the hearts of the people there. Yeah, I want to bring in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 because I think this this uh, statement by Paul would really help to show us how Paul mm-hmm. thinks about his people here in 
Chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, verses 2 and 3, he says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear that, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be corrupted from the simplicity mm-hmm. and purity of devotion to Christ. Yeah. And this kind of begs the question, you know, back in the Philippian text, verse 21, he says, for they all seek after their own interests. Earlier on, he had uh, mentioned, you know, their, their impure motives. Yeah. Um, elsewhere in, in his epistles, he talks about how their God is their belly. And, mm-hmm. and those, it says it actually in chapter three of nineteen. Here he says, "Whose end is destruction," referring to these these uh, false teachers, these mm-hmm. enemies of Christ, whose God is their stomach, and they glory in their shame, who set their thoughts on earthly things. Yeah, right. So those are all kind of like synonymous ways of referring to someone who is interested in themselves yeah. and their own interests more than the interests of Christ. Yeah, right. Ultimately, their end is destruction. Their God is their own consumption mm-hmm. for their own glory sake they only have their mind focused on earthly things now let's take a second there and let's apply that to ourselves yeah first of all before we apply it to ourselves we have to ask the question well what are the interests of christ what is christ actually interested in yeah wow that's a question we probably haven't asked ourselves in a while right yeah well first and foremost his glory amen right um we were made in the image of god to to glorify and worship god and so um, that's one of the things that we see here, not in, seek their own interest, not, not that of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to talk about Timothy. He has served with me in the gospel. So the gospel being the central message mm-hmm. that brings the most glory to Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Our need for a savior, that Christ must be preeminent, that he is our Lord mm-hmm. and that we must submit to him and follow him and be like him. Yeah. And so that's the step the, one, step one, right? God's glory equaling the salvation of lost mm-hmm. people, then their sanctification, Yeah, right? And then the quite opposite effect of what they're seeking, their own interests. <laughs> well, what is the, what does the kingdom of God look like? It looks like caring more about the interests of others that Paul's been right. speaking about so often here in, in chapter 2. I mean, that's love, right? That's right. That's love. I mean, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul tells the Ephesian church, be imitators of God, mm-hmm. right? and walk in love. You know, I was talking about love with the family ministry team today at the Field Church because uh, our memory verse for the family ministry coming up is going to be Ephesians 5, Mm -hmm. 1 through 2. Mm -hmm. Because we want to teach our children, and our families too, but like specifically the children, to imitate God. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? To walk in love. Now, why is that important? Well, if you know anything about what Jesus taught when he was here, he answered a question at one point. One guy asked him, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? He said, well, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, Mm -hmm. mind, soul, and strength. And the other is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Right. The whole law and prophets hinges on these two or or, or those two commandments, right? Mm -hmm. And what do those two commandments hinge on? Love. Right. So we want to teach our kids how to obey the Lord, how to imitate him. But we also want to clear up the ambiguity between how the world talks about love, which would be, you know, these who are seeking after their own interests, yeah. right? So if I say I love somebody using the world's vernacular, what I really mean is that they do something for me that makes me love them. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas the biblical vernacular is the complete opposite. Right. I do things for other people because I love God. 
That's right. And because I love those people. Right. It's the agape love, yes. right? The love of choice. Amen. The ascent of the will. And it has to come out of the character of God. That's why only Christians can love like God. That's right. Because unless you have the love of God in you, you can't be imitators of God. Amen. Right? And so we see here with what Paul is indicting these these other leaders, they all seek their own interest, is they're not saved probably. Like they lack the love of God and they are not interested in loving the people, mm-hmm. which is why Paul is so concerned about sending Timothy and so and Epaphroditus is so tore up mm-hmm. over the people because there is nothing more dangerous mm-hmm. than false teaching to draw one away from the Lord. Right. And even if they are saved, because that's debatable, right? I mean, he refers to these guys in the sure. church as brothers, but we know how he refers to some of those other false teachers mm-hmm. as dogs, as mutilators of the flesh. Mm-hmm. I'm specifically thinking of chapter 3 of Philippians in verse yeah. 2. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the mutilation, right? These were the Judaizers, right? Yeah. So what you said is a- absolutely true and accurate. They may not be saved, right? right? But if they are, here's the other equally dangerous thing. Because the goal of our life, Christian, is to glorify God. Mm -hmm. And if we are saved, here's what Satan's going to want to do. He's going to want to render us ineffective. Right. Right? You can be saved and be totally ineffective for the kingdom of God. Yeah. There's scriptural precedent for that. Yeah. Now, like the the precedent would be if a pastor is disqualified from service, right? He's not totally ineffective, but he's certainly been taken out of his position where he was definitely being very effective. And also... Being disqualified means you've done something that has probably a ripple effect to, mm-hmm. to really discourage other people's faith. That's right. So it's very dangerous. So you've, right? been, you've been effective for Satan's purposes, even mm-hmm. if that's not your desire, right? That's right. We are in a war. And so mm-hmm. if we are in Christ and yet we are following after the temptation and lust of the flesh, which is possible to do as we all fight against sin, right? Mm-hmm. Well, know this, Christian that you are serving either Satan or you are serving the Lord. And we don't want to revert back to our old life. We don't want to be like these individuals Mm -hmm. seeking after our own interests. We don't want to be like these individuals whose God is their belly and whose end is destruction and whose glory is their own shame and who set their mind on earthly things. Right? We want to be like the the Colossian church was exhorted to be in chapter 3, we want to set our mind on things above, not on the things of the earth, right? Yeah, we want Christ to be preeminent in all things. And that's what Christ is interested in. He's interested in the glory of God because he is God. Yeah. And he has to be interested in that, not because he's beholden to that as if he's lower than that, but because he's God. And that's the best possible thing that you could possibly be about. Right. <laughs> and that is what Christ requires. Yes. And maybe listen to this and maybe you haven't been taught the gospel clearly. And so I thought... Christ loved us and saved us, and it's about me. So that's never anything that Christ ever said. You read Luke 14. He says you have to hate everything else, including your own life, other than me, mm-hmm. meaning to love everything else less. Or Colossians, mm-hmm. he must be preeminent. Romans 10, 9 and 10, he, he has to be Lord. He is the one who mm-hmm. is to be glorified and above all. It's yeah. not about us. And that's actually the most loving thing he could do. Yeah. Right? Because if, he, if he's God, that is the most right. loving. Right. I mean, think about it. If you understand the, the doctrine of original sin rightly, I mm-hmm. mean, we are God haters. We are people who don't seek after God because we have no interest in God. Mm-hmm. Right? And yet here comes the God who is love, who crashes into our life 
for his own glory's sake and pulls us out of the muck and mire, pulls mm-hmm. us out of the wayward, sinful junk that we've been obsessed with pursuing, mm-hmm. right? And he gives us life. Yeah. Like, wow, we thought we had it, but we were deceived, right? And Absolutely. he takes us from seeking after our own interests and he transfers us and our desires into seeking after his interests. And that's found in the person of Timothy, right? Mm-hmm. That's what Paul's putting forward here. Right. And then he turns his attention in verse 25 to our man Epaphroditus. Now this brother right here has got some titles. Yeah, man. <laughs> he, I tell you what, he's one that's not spoken about enough, honestly. Yeah. You know, we know about Timothy. We know about, you know, because there's letters written to them, Titus. But Epaphroditus, the way Paul speaks about him, mm-hmm. he's a he's a solid man of God, mm-hmm. right? Um, a brother, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, mm-hmm. and, your, and your messenger and minister to me, to my need. And so it seems as if Epaphroditus came out of the Philippian church, and one who's been a fellow worker and and follower with Paul, mm-hmm. and he's with Paul and was there when he's imprisoned and, and seems to be helping and meeting his need mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in a way that the rest of the Philippians couldn't or did not. Or, you know, we don't know if it was they were not able to be there or mm-hmm. or he kind of seemed a little bit like he he um, he risked his life, what you were lacking in your service at the end of this, mm-hmm. which, which shows that the journey was difficult and 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 dangerous right so i take that as saying you know what you were lacking meaning like you know you would have had to risk your life to help me in the way epaphroditus has done Mm. in this Mm -hmm. you know yeah i mean let's just look at some of the ways that paul refers to this guy in verse 25 okay so he's my brother Mm -hmm. right that's a familial term that's a term of intimacy yeah fellow christian right the generic application but He's also a fellow worker and fellow soldier. So Paul knew this man more so in just the generic sense, right? Mm -hmm. Because it is true. I mean, once you're in Christ, you now have a big, 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 big family. Yeah, (laughs) but you don't know everybody in that family as intimately. No, you don't. But when you can also call your your brother in Christ your fellow worker and fellow soldier, well, think about what everyone, you know, the the things that soldiers go through. Yeah. There's such a tightly knit bond there, you know. Yeah, you've been arm in arm. You've had each other's backs. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean the the worker even, they're they're both united in the furtherance of the gospel, like it says up in verse twenty two and elsewhere throughout this epistle. But the the soldier image is like this man has has put in tremendous effort and toil, sweat, blood, sacrifice, mm-hmm. risking his life for the furtherance of the gospel. This elevates it to a non generic level, right? Yeah. Because yes, we're all referred we're all referred to in some sense as soldiers, but we all don't operate as soldiers, right? Mm-hmm. There are there are men and women out there on the front lines around the world who risk their life every day for the gospel. And if Paul is saying that, this dude was a soldier. This dude, yes, absolutely. So if he says fellow soldier, we know Paul's life: mm-hmm. shipwrecked, imprisoned, beaten. beaten. Oh man! So Epaphrodites was in it very, very much so. And you know, it's interesting, Jack, because we're talking about the interests of Christ and. If we go down to verse 27, God had mercy on Epaphroditus. You know, he was sick to the point of death. Mm. He also came close to death for the work of Christ. Maybe those two incidents were related. You know, verse 27 says he was sick to the point of death. Verse 30 says that he came close to death for the work of Christ. Maybe those are two are related. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me to, to look at guys like Paul and Epaphroditus and, and others who, who had this experience. 
their hearts were radically transformed in those experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, their love for the people of God grew exponentially mm. as they suffered tremendously yeah. for the name of Christ. And it's, it's, there really is no other way to get there. Yeah. You know, you know um, what's at stake when you suffer for it. Yes. And it, it has that effect in you. It's mm. like, I'm reminded of the apostles in, uh, I think it's Acts chapter five, when they're standing before the Sanhedrin and they're being told not to proclaim Christ anymore. And they ended up getting beaten and then, you know, sent on their way and they leave there skipping and jumping and they're happy because they were considered worthy for suffering for the name. Yeah. Like that's a blessing. Yeah, and they they especially understood that because they just watched Christ go through that. Like yeah. they understood the cost of the gospel because Christ showed them the ultimate cost of it. Yeah. And I think that was why they considered it worthy. They got to be like their master. Yeah. I'm going to skip ahead to chapter 3, verse 10 on that note of suffering because that's an important thing I think we need to stop and talk about for a second. Every time you read throughout church history or in the Bible of great men and women of God, when I say great, I mean they were used to do things that were just unordinary, mm -hmm. right? Or inordinary, whatever the word is. Yeah. They were used in a way that is notable and remarkable. There's always an element of suffering attached to their ministry, yeah. right? Now, in chapter 3, verse 10, Paul is, we're going to get there later on in our series, but he says that, about Christ that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And then here it is, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And so that right there, mm -hmm. resurrection of the dead, speaks to the glorification, right? When, when we are resurrected from the dead, we will receive our glorified bodies. But notice what precedes it, suffering. Yeah. Now, now this is a big overarching concept in the scriptures. Even back in the early uh, ancient Jewish days before Christ came, uh, as far back as the book of Daniel chapter 12, this element of suffering preceding the, the coming of Messiah, this, mm -hmm. this notion of suffering preceding glory, was, was really beginning to come out in the biblical narrative and the revelation. So Paul, in chapter 3, you know, really brings that down into the individual level. But we see it put on display with men like Epaphroditus, with men like Paul. They knew that when they committed their life to Christ, it was going to involve suffering. Mm. That's part of it, right? That's part of it. There was no such thing, particularly in his day, as easy believism, no. right? I mean, that was unheard of. When they signed no. up to the church, right? You're risking everything. They knew it. Mm -hmm. They knew it. But that's because they rightly understood Christ. Mm -hmm. they, and like you mentioned, they saw him. They saw him suffer before going to glory, mm -hmm. right? That's always the biblical formula. Yeah. Suffering precedes glory. It's always coming before. I'm reminded of Satan in the desert with Jesus. Yeah. Hey, I'll give you the kingdom of the world. Mm -hmm. You don't got to go through all that suffering. Just mm -hmm. bow down and worship me now. Suffer free. That's the way to be, right? Mm -hmm. That was the message of Satan's gospel. And continues. Right. And I think that's very important for us to remember as Christians today, who, particularly in America, were not being persecuted yet. And we may not in our lifetime. I don't know, mm -hmm. right? We should be prepared for that. Yeah. But it starts with a right understanding of just basic Christianity. Well, and it starts, it starts also with standing firm in your life being willing to suffer and then and then the american culture you're probably not going to be thrown in jail 
beaten. I mean, certainly not now. Right. Maybe in our lifetime. But you still have to face some of your biggest fears, rejection of friends, rejection of family members. Loss of job. Loss of job. All kinds of things like that. Those things can still happen. Oh, yeah. And do happen now. Happen quite often. Absolutely. But notice what Paul says in verse 29 of our section here. He says, receive Epaphroditus then in the Lord with all joy. And here's the key. Hold men like him in high regard Mm -hmm. because he came close to death for the work of Christ. Yeah. That's the key I think we need to take away from today is this Christian life is a life for all Christians of selfless, sacrificial service, Mm -hmm. even unto the point of death, just like our Lord did and just like this man Epaphroditus was willing to do. Yeah. This whole section speaks to the communal mindset that Christians should have and the commitment to one another, the Mm -hmm. commitment to Christ, and because of that commitment to Christ, the commitment to one another. To care deeply about your fellow Christian, to pray for, to mm-hmm. intercede for, to bear one another's burdens, to rebuke if you see sin, to protect mm-hmm. them. And we live in this mindset of individualism in America, mm-hmm. and it seeps into the church. And you have to understand that when you first come to Christ, you have to repent through that. It's going to take some time. That yeah. individualism is going to, it's its in there, and it takes yeah. some repenting out of, right? But when we see this, picture of Timothy and Epaphroditus in light of the whole section of chapter 2, it rebukes the pride of individualism and mm. selfishness that we all struggle with. Mm-hmm. We, are, we are not to be an island to ourselves. We are not the point. It is not about our glory. That's right. We have fellowship in Christ because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's chapter 2, verse 1. Mm-hmm. We have the fellowship of the Spirit, right? That's a, the bond of the Spirit kept in the, the unity uh, or, or the, the the bond of peace kept by the unity of the Spirit. Yeah. That's what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4. And that's a real reality. And I think there might be a large disconnect for most Christians because of what you've just mentioned. That cultural idea of rugged individualism that America's history <laughs> is full of, right? Yeah, there's a, there's certainly a pride, especially with men. You know, you grew up like oh, that. Yeah. Be the man, be the hero, be the... Yeah, put wolf. your head down, get it done, shut up, right? That's right. Like all those, t- you know, right. ma- ma- machismo sorts of things. And not to degrade manliness, of course. Yeah. Work hard, be strong, be a man, but biblical manhood says be selfless, be others focused, care, pray for, love. Um, that is what biblical manhood looks like. It's like the Apostle Paul said, and we'll end it on this. He said in Second um, Corinthians Chapter 12, he said in verse 10, Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions and hardships for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Mm -hmm. Right? He was content with the suffering. Yeah. Because he knew that through that suffering was coming glory. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, we thank you all for listening to another episode of the Nehemiah Project podcast. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life-controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985-205-3022.